angrily leaving his uncle's house behind him. He was on his way back home, eyes fixed on the ground as he brooded miserably on his affairs, when he walked head on into a drunkard. The man seized hold of him with a curse. He's sodding blind, bumping into me like that? The voice was a familiar one. Looking closer, he saw that it was his neighbour, Ni'ar, a racketeer who made most of his money from high-interest loans, supplemented by what he took off other players in the gambling dens. He drank too much and was always getting into fights. At this particular moment, he was on his way back from paying a little call on one of his debtors, evidently a lucrative one, for he was already three sheets to the wind. He did not take kindly to being bumped into, and it would have gone very badly with Jiayun if he had not immediately identified himself. Nee, old chap, don't strike, it's me. I wasn't looking where I was going. Hearing the voice, Niar opened his bleary eyes a little wider, saw that it was Jiayun, released him, lurching heavily as he did so, and gave a cackle. Stone. Kevin Wilson here, joined as always by William Jones. Will, how are you today? Today I am magnificent. How about you? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm really excited for chapter 24. Um, you want to do a quick recap? Yeah, absolutely. So last time in chapter 23, what happened? Well, the novel focuses on this uh, this wealthy Chinese noble family, the Jiaz. And um, a few chapters back, one of the daughters of the of the clan, uh, Jia Yuanchun, she was chosen to become a concubine to the emperor. And so this is, you know, this great sign of imperial favor for her and for the family generally. And so in order to have an appropriate venue to receive her when she pays visits, they um, have constructed this very grand garden in their mansion. Um, and it's full of, you know, lakes and streams, flowers, trees, grand halls, pavilions, and the like. Uh, and it also has this troupe of child actors and a little temple stuffed with, with nuns. And so there was a grand opening of the garden when Yuan Chun, the concubine, first paid her visit. But since then, the garden has remained more or less closed. And Yuan Chun, in the Imperial Palace, decides that this is kind of a waste. So she orders that the garden be opened to the young men and women of the household. And um, each one of them is going to take one of those little buildings in the garden um, and turn it into their new home. So in this chapter, we see how um, 
the characters are, are kind of settling in to their new life in the garden. And we focus in particular on our main character, Jia Baoyu, who is a, an angsty teenage boy. Um, and to begin with, his life in the garden is, is really blissful. Um, you know, and he writes a series of poems uh, recording what life is like in the garden across the four seasons. Uh, we looked at those poems in some depth uh, last time. Uh, these poems they gain a, a degree of uh, acclaim, and for a while his you know his poetry and his calligraphy and drawings are are very much in demand locally. But before long, this gives way to a kind of listlessness and boredom, uh, and nothing seems to be able to shake him out of that. Um, eventually, one of his manservants, Tea Leaf, buys him a gift, uh, which is some what we might call romantic literature, whose content Bayou finds very thrilling. So he shares this literature with his, his cousin in love interest, uh, Lin Dayu, and she also finds it deeply affecting. At the end of the garden, we leave Dayu wandering alone, um, and she hears the troupe of child actors practicing an opera. And the words of the opera stir these very strong feelings of kind of sorrow in her heart, um, because they're about the transience of life, in particular, the transience of youth and beauty. Uh, and she breaks down in tears, uh, sitting on a little rock, and suddenly a hand taps her on the shoulder, and that's where the chapter ends. In this chapter, we find out that the hand tapping on her, the hand tapping on her shoulder, belongs to the maid Caltrop, uh, Xiangling, um, who has brought her some boxes of tea from Wang Xifeng, one of the other young women of the family. So they sit and chat a little, and we leave them there. Meanwhile, our main character, Bao Yu, has gone to visit his uncle, Jia Sha, who is ill, but not kind of seriously. On the way, he meets his cousin, Jia Lian, who's the husband of Wang Xifeng, the, the young woman we just mentioned. Now, Jia Lian is with another distant relative of the family, a young man called Jia Yun, um, about whom we'll, we'll have more later. So Bao Yu, after visiting his uncle, uh, he stays to chat with Lady Xing, his uncle's wife. Um, and we see in a short passage how differently she treats Bao Yu compared with um, Jia Tong, her husband's child by a concubine. In the next section, we turn our attention to the young man we just mentioned, Jia Yun, who is a, a distant relative but a poor one, of the central family, um, a young man of about 18. Now, as mentioned in the previous chapter, there are a few young men distantly related to the family who have been looking for kind of jobs, both to earn money and to improve their station in life. And one of them is Jia Yun, another is a young man called Jia Qin. In the previous chapter, um, Jia Qin was given a job looking after the nuns in the garden, uh, and in particular, carting them off to a temple elsewhere when they're not required for, you know, official visitations. And in this chapter, we'll see that um, Jia Yun tries to snag a job for himself, planting flowers and trees in the garden. Um, in brief, he decides that the way to do it is to present a gift to Wang Xifeng, the, the young lady of the house, who's responsible for much of the household management. The way that he tries to do this is to borrow it from his uncle, who runs an incense shop, but he's unwilling to give it to him on credit. 
Um, leaving the shop, he bumps into a drunken moneylender who, in his drunken state, agrees to lend him the money without interest. And so Jia Yun takes this money, he goes off and buys some incense, he gifts it to Shifeng, and lo and behold, the job is his. Uh, and then finally, when he's at the mansion, he has a brief encounter with one of the maid servants called Crimson, uh, and they each leave a deep impression on the other. In the final section of the chapter, our central character, Bao Yu, returns home after a day visiting this noble prince, the prince of Beijing, or kind of northern peace. And only two of his maidservants are around. Uh, he asks them to fetch some water for him to have a bath. While they're off fetching the water, he can't find anyone to help him make tea, so he starts doing it himself. Um, but he's interrupted by a maid he's never seen before, who helps him. Um, they talk for a while, until the other maids return with the bathwater. Now this maid in question is Crimson, the one previously mentioned. Um, when the maids return with the bathwater, they see her there, and because she is one of the kind of, um, almost kind of back-of-house servants, um, these two assume that she's trying to kind of worm her way in, worm her way in with Bao Yu, um, and a kind of argument breaks out. Um, eventually, this is interrupted by another servant who notifies them that the young man, Jia Yun, will be planting trees in the garden the following day. Um, and this sets Crimson's heart aflutter. Um, that night, as she's lying in bed, um, Jia Yun sneaks up to her window, um, and that is where the chapter ends. Okay, great. Um, so my kind of my first impressions um, revolve around kind of a, a comparison between last chapter and this chapter, where last chapter had this. It did seem more on the uh, the ideal kind of dreamlike, um, uh, maybe idyllic uh, sort of scenery, whereas this chapter seemed again it was more material. Uh, dealing with a lot of the realistic drudgeries of life and, and a lot of these kind of um, maybe uh, like underhanded dealings and uh, bribery. Uh, and so I was kind of thinking that there might be a, a kind of an interesting point of contrast uh, between the last chapter and this chapter where with the only exception being at, at the very end of this chapter, there is a dreamlike moment uh, which um was based on the events uh, of the day, so it, it, that was one way to kind of to uh, bridge the the gap between um, illusion and reality, or between the you know desire and material, um, mm. uh, like material social being. Uh, so I was kind of thinking about that a lot. Um, at the same time, I think we get a really good sense for how. Um, this is one chapter where uh, Bao Yu is is sort of uh, decentered in a way, and instead we get to see the world. I'd say mainly through the eyes of uh, Jia Yun, and so it's kind of um, you, you get a taste for what it life what life is like when you're not you know the you know Copernican center of the universe. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when you're not riding high on the hog, you know, when. You, 
you you really see this is him kind of like grinding, kind of kind of mm. hustling to get by. Yes, right? yes, and and he's taking all kinds of crazy risks, uh, and we can talk about this, but it's really amazing to see how what from afar would look to be like some kind of simple exercise in gift giving and formality, but actually it involved uh, a lot of like, you know, the um, taking on debt and pulling, you know, pulling strings and dealing with very uns- unsavory types of individuals just to get this kind of, you know, for the, the prospects of a, a, of a kind of cushy labor position, essentially. Yeah. Um, and so it's all very extremely relatable, and this is kind of this is kind of one of those chapters where it's like the jarring because like you know most of us in our daily lives we're not like Bao Yu we're more like this guy you know hmm. <laughs> like you have to like remind the reader like you're not Bao Yu you're probably at best a kind of Jia Yun hmm. you're like you know you're 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 struggling and uh, like dealing with a lot of um, indignities yeah and kind of and frustrating just, yourself you know uh-huh. kind of toadying up to the mm-hmm. the important people in the hope that they'll bestow right. some kind of you know benevolence on you uh, and definitely like the 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 ignorance on one side on the, on the kind of the side of the the wealthy is is very clearly demonstrated in one scene which i think we'll pick up on as we go as we go past mm-hmm. so do you want to get right into the text yeah let's yeah let's jump right in that sounds yeah. great actually where we left things at the end of the last chapter, we had this very minor cliffhanger where Dayu is Dayu is crying alone and a hand taps her on the shoulder. And we discover in this chapter that it's uh, uh, Xiangling, Caltrop, the, the maid who's who's come to disturb her. And nothing much of interest happens, mm-hmm. right? They, um, they return to her room and they chat and they play a little bit of Go and they look at a couple of books, and, and that's more or less it. You know, I got the impression that that was just a way to remind us that, uh, like, that Xiangling, previously known as Inglian, still exists, and she's still a significant character, even though we haven't really heard much from about her in a while. Mm. Uh, I wonder if that's the, way, the author's way to sort of, like, jog your memory. Uh, or maybe the scene, maybe it was originally intended to be longer, and it was cut. Mm. I, I kind of wonder... Um, about that yeah he also just loves to have a a kind of cliffhanger ending even a minor one just to, okay, just yeah. to, almost to keep the 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 chapters running together um I, I would, but yeah nothing much nothing much of interest happens there. yeah my, my only kind of other comment was that you know both you know like there's a certain you could imagine a certain kind of uh like poetic camaraderie that exists between Dayu and and Shangling. they're both kind of um yeah, they, you know they have these. They have strong poetic sensibilities, and so maybe that's like a source of their um, potential con- companionship. Yeah. Um, and so, what happens next? Well, um, Bao Yu has gone off to see his. He's on the way to go and see his uncle mm-hmm. Jia Sha, right? Um, but first, he has to stop back at his to to change clothes. Okay. So his. His kind of number one maid, uh, Aroma Xiren. Um mm-hmm. she's helping him get his clothes together. And Bao Yu, meanwhile, is well, he's kind of fixated by another one of the maids. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, Yuan Yang in the Hawks, it's rendered faithful, which is an interesting little translation choice, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yuan Yang being it's it's almost like a pair of ducks. 
Right, like uh, like the the duck equivalent of a lovebird. That's my understanding. Like, yeah. Um. So maybe those ducks are faithful to each other. Uh, that I think is yeah. exactly the idea, right? It's a, it's it's a, a kind of oblique reference to that. F- funnily enough, um, Yuan Yang is um, in in Hong Kong. It's used to refer to um, a tea where you mix coffee and tea together. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Nice. Um, but but anyway. Um, so yeah. So he's fixated on her. Um, yeah, there's a great chapter, a, a great passage here, uh, where he's basically he's like getting too close to her, and and, and uh, like um, and he's sniffing her perfume, and mm. he wants to again. He just can't get enough of this. Of the lipstick, he wants to taste the lipstick. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he, he's undoubtedly This is undoubtedly him being creepy, but like you feel that somehow it's partly just like a purely, it's like a highly aesthetic thing. Like he's really fixated on um, how immaculately dressed she is, for example. Like there's this this whole section where you know mm-hmm. it's saying that she was wearing a, a kind of like bright pink damask silk jacket a satin sleeveless kind of Mm, like like almost the kind of overcoat thing and there were these kind of jade colored she had kind of jade colored stockings poking out and bright red embroidered shoes and a purple silk handkerchief around her neck um but yeah he rather makes a fool of himself here i would say um and (laughs) and she maybe this is I think, unfortunately, this is probably not the first time that one of the men at the household has come onto her quite aggressively, because she seems to handle it in her stride. Um, mm. But yeah, she 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 calls out, faithful calls out to Aroma and says, you know, come on, what's this? What's this guy up to? Like, why haven't you fixed him? You know, <laughs> haven't you managed to to cure him of these of these um, mm-hmm. perversions? And so it's yeah, it's we have to kind of imagine our, the the dynamics of the situation, right? Because, and actually, we're going to see later in the chapter that, um, you know, like serving and waiting on Bao Yu is for better or for worse. I mean, and maybe you could say, you know, mostly for worse is the, the source of power and, you know, like social status yeah, uh, for all these maids. And so even though it is, you know, a subordinate role, it's one that is, you know, mm. uh, hotly uh, guarded actually. Um, and that's kind of the the underlying kind of tension. Yeah, uh, I guess because he's the there. you know one of the main male kind of heirs of the family. Um, he obviously is <clears throat> perceived as um, important and powerful, or certainly that he will be in future. And so naturally, being close to him, um, having his confidence, I suppose, is is very important. But yeah, at the same time, it. It does kind of neatly reveal how, um, well, I guess the problems with a system like this, you know, where you have a small class of kind of nobility or aristocracy served by a, a much larger class mm-hmm. of uh, servants of different stripes, that is very mm-hmm. debasing if you're not one of those those nobles on, on the kind of top of the pile. And so this is the moment then that uh, he gets visited by Jalian and who's accompanied by Jiayun, whom he doesn't recognize, uh, and this is a, a you know a source of amusement for Jialian, um, where they're saying this is Jiayun, 
And he's like, well, this is uh, Cousin Boucheren's uh, boy who lives in West Lane. And there's, there's this little, like, kind of moment where uh, I was debating how much detail we want to go into here, where they have uh, – Bao Yu makes a comment, like, oh, you're, you're, uh, you're a beautiful boy. You could almost be my son. <laughs> uh, and then, and then uh, there's a laugh because he's – like, uh, Jadlian comments, you know, he's older than you. Yeah, maybe yeah. F- five or six years. Exactly. So Bao Yu is maybe thirteen at this point, and Jia Yun is eighteen. Um, but Jia Yun, far from being offended by this, sees an opportunity to to sort of uh, yeah, kind of gain some advancement, gain some favor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has a kind of a clever remark about uh, kind of an odd saying mm. that Hawks translate as grandsires and cradles and babies with beards you know like he says mm-hmm. even if i am older than you yeah the highest mountain can't shut out the sun you know which is a compliment i'd guess yeah he's laying it on a bit thick there right um I, I, it's it's kind of like you know it's bathed in sort of um a, a good-natured irony i think yeah so though yeah it's kind of even though i'm older than you you <clears throat> you are to me as the sun to a mountain you know you are you're you are far greater um uh and so this this kind of this goes on for a while jalian says well you've done it now you've got yourself a son (laughs) and you know that's that's no laughing matter (laughs) um and you know because he's (laughs) i think at this point he and wang shifeng have recently had their their first child a daughter um i guess he's you know Mm -hmm. talking from experience there maybe he's yeah maybe projecting a bit yeah Although I doubt he has much of a role in actually raising his child, uh, I, yeah, I <laughs> just mean, knowing knowing his character. Right, right. That's I mean that's the classic. That's, <laughs> um, and so then so Bao Yu basically he goes on and he invites his son, quote unquote, to come over the next day, and they can uh, yeah. they can they can spend the day together, and he knows he's gonna, he's gonna mm-hmm. show him, he's gonna show him around the garden. Um, yeah. And we're gonna see the the problem with this is Bao Yu is just completely he didn't remember he didn't remember who this this guy, this kid was. And now he's not gonna remember, you know, this you know, pseudo appointment they made. This kind of off the cuff invitation. Uh-huh. Which to yeah, which to him is just a kind of, you know, good natured but passing remark. But to Jia Yun is kind of like you know, mm-hmm. almost like the kind of golden ticket, you know. Um I mean, it's yeah. a bit like, mm-hmm. uh, certainly in the UK, I think there's a tendency for some people to say, oh, you know, we must go for drinks sometime, or you must come around for dinner, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. But but that in, invariably means nothing, you know. Okay. Uh, you yeah, know. You, you don't know what to make of it. Or, yeah, yeah like, you, you, you must do nothing. <laughs> how do you, like, how do you know when people actually want you to uh, have drinks sometime? I know. What's like, what's the secret code? Well, it's. I always kind of think it's if you say, "Okay, sure, when is good for you?" If they say, "I'll text you," um, <laughs> but okay. that means it's never. only real when a date is proffered. Yeah, exactly, uh, exactly, exactly. So then, uh, so Jia Lian and Jia Yun depart, don't they? Mm-hmm. And so Bao Yu ends up, uh, you know paying a visit, a kind of perfunctory visit to his mildly ailing uncle, Jasha. And uh, it's at this moment where he sort of um, gets reeled in by uh, Lady Xing. And also this time, a few others 
uh, come by. It's at this moment when uh, I think it's Jia Huan and Jia Lan both come by. Yeah, and also um, <clears throat> Jia Tong. Um, okay, the, the youngest of all, right? Yeah, so just to remind ourselves. Um, exactly, yeah, we need to review this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Bao Yu's father, Jia Zhang, is the brother of mm-hmm. Jia mm-hmm. Xia, the sick, the currently the sick man. Exactly. Yeah. He's married to Lady Xian, mm-hmm. but he also has at least one concubine. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Jia Xia and mm-hmm. Lady Xian together have a son, Jia Lian, who we just met, who was accompanying mm-hmm. the young, the the ambitious young man Jia Yun. Exactly. Yeah. But then also, Bao Yu, our central figure, our central character, he has a younger half brother. Jia Huan, who's his father's son by a concubine, whereas Bao Yu is by his father's wife. And then also, Bao Yu had an older brother who died, but before the older brother died, he had already had a son, Jia Lan, who will, who will come into the narrative a bit here. It's, it's, it can be really difficult to keep track of all of the different characters. And I guess the, the, the real like uh, salient detail in this scene is the um, like overwhelmingly preferential treatment that uh, Bao Yu received from Lady Xing, um, which Jia Huan is like palpably jealous of once again. Yeah, so he's sitting and chatting. Bao Yu is sitting and chatting with Lady Xing, um, and at that moment, Jia Tong comes in. Um, and we assume he's maybe a bit younger. Maybe he's much younger. You know. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Um, and so, so Jia Tong, as we mentioned, is Lady Xing's husband's child. A child as a son that her husband has had with one of his concubines, and she immediately kind of goes on the offensive against this, <laughs> against this child. Um, mm. In the Hawks, it says, "Where did this little ragamuffin come from?" I don't know what that nanny of yours can be thinking of to let you get in such a state. I declare, your face is as black as a crow. No one would ever think to look at you that you were an educated little boy and came from a good family. Um, and <laughs> I mean, in the Chinese, she even says, you know, has your has your nanny, has your nurse died? Um, <laughs> like, um, as in to say, like, is nobody, you know, looking after you, making sure you're 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 um. But I feel like concern for his appearance is, um, it rings a little hollow. Yes, kids can <clears throat> can get themselves a bit mucky, but I'm I'm, I'm doubtful that he's really that messy. Um, I expect she's just, she's probably just finding cause to criticize him. Um, yeah, it was hard to uh, kind of read the tone there a little bit. Um, because if he is significantly younger, that would be the kind of thing you might say, you know, maybe he's been playing in, playing outside. Yeah. And and meanwhile, the other two boys, um, Jia Huan, so Bao Yu's younger half brother, and Jia Lan, so Bao Yu's nephew, um, who's really really young, um, they've wandered in, um, having also visited uh, Jia Xia, the 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 sick uncle, um, but they see this this kind of scolding going on, and then as you mentioned, yeah, they they see that whereas they. <clears throat> Whereas they're confined to kind of low chairs down on the floor, Bao Yu is up on the the kang, the kind of raised, heated bed with Lady Xing, so they can see that there's 
in physical terms, a very clear difference in there's a very clear hierarchy mm-hmm. established. Oh yeah, for sure, right? And it's it's pretty awkward um, because you know sitting on a kong together, it's fairly intimate, uh, and then so observing two other people sitting on a kong. Uh, you can imagine that sort of, um, yeah, you know, maybe I, I wouldn't want to stay either. <laughs> I think that they know that they're not really, not, it's not that they're necessarily unwelcome, but they're not, nobody really cares if, you, if they're um, there or not. And so they, it's kind of at this point where we, as the reader, are, we leave with uh, Jia Yun and we follow him uh, in his, like, subsequent journeys uh and his attempt to uh procure this choice um employment on the ja on the the ja estate so his first trip is to to jalian is that right am, am i remembering correctly uh yes exactly um, um so he comes in to see jalian to see if there's a job um and Jalian says that this job came up the other day, but due to <clears throat> lobbying by Xifeng, uh, they gave it to Jia Qin, this other young young man instead. And that, as we mentioned, was the job of looking after the the nuns and things in the uh, in the garden. And so now he's angling for this tree planting job. Uh, maybe not as lucrative, but also we're going to see not too bad, uh, not a bad not a bad gig. He comes across as quite smart, you know, quite kind of clever in this, rather good at kind of calculating. He says, uh, don't mention to mm-hmm. Wang Xifeng that you and I spoke about this, basically. Um, because what he wants to do is make a gift to Wang Xifeng. But if she doesn't know that he knows that there's a job in it, she'll assume that the gift is purely altruistic. Whereas if she knows that he knows that there's a job and he's trying to butter her up with gifts, then she might, in fact, be slightly offended by the gift, you know? It's a delicate um, maneuver, right? Because, you know, you want yeah. to... It really depends on the individual, how, like, cynical they are or maybe how <laughs> self-aware they are of their own uh, sort of uh, calculative... Yeah, uh, I think capacities. I think that he plays the game pretty well in this chapter. But it's you can see how how complex it mm-hmm. is, you know how. Yeah, you know there, there's several steps along the way. It could have gone terribly wrong, and <laughs> yeah. he, he could have ended up, you know, with ultimately with a lot of debt and nothing to show for it. Indeed, um, indeed. Which is, I think, it was was very relatable. Uh, I mean, even nowadays, I've I've been thinking about how gift giving is so fraught. It's like it's very difficult to give people gifts, and the the, the value of the gift is always uh, kind of present, and it always tends to have a market value, and and it it, it seems calculating, um, and it's very hard to do it. You know, in the in like an academic setting, I, I've seen people give like you know like carefully timed gifts to like uh, department secretaries and uh and to advisors and it really can seem sort of uh deeply uh like troubling and kind of like mm, I, I don't know it, it seems unsettling to me 
especially when we've seen in the last chapter, in a sense, gifts were given, yep. but they were all these poetic gifts, right? And they were all like, you know, kind of like the whole idea is like the thought mm. is what counts, you know, and that's kind of a cliche that nobody like nowadays really believes. But like when, when you know, the, 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 the poems and the riddles were exchanged, it was like pure thought for, for a moment there. Uh, and that was kind of like, for me, that was kind of like the ideal uh, sort of fighting against these sort of, the ideal form of exchange, fighting against these kinds of um, problematic forms of exchange and, and debt and indebtedness that we see in this chapter. So it's, I, I thought it was really kind of a, a provocative contrast. Anyway, so we're gonna see we're gonna see a lot on gift giving here. Um, so that that was the trip to Jialian, and so now Jiayun he has he's got a plan, he's got an idea that's forming in his mind as he returns. Um, and so on his way home, he kind of makes a detour to his uh, the house of his maternal uncle, who has an interesting name. His name is Bu Shuren, uh, and so there's a different ways to read this in terms of like the hidden meaning or in this case not so hidden meaning um uh so like boo is actually um it's 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 a surname a real surname yeah. but it's also the a verb for uh, to divine uh for for divination uh so it's a very old uh kind of an old character that goes back to the beginning of characters yeah. you know over 3000 years ago uh and, and actually the, the the pictograph is uh, like literally like a crack in the, the shape that a crack in a bone would make because of the early the earliest divinations were um, this, this process where you would heat up hmm. uh, bones and sometimes bones that are, have been written on them or bones that are about to be written on them and then depending on the the orientation of the cracks you'd make different kinds of uh, like predictions as to whether to go to war or what to sacrifice or when to sacrifice and so on and so forth um and so, so his, his surname is uh, to divine, and then uh, Shuren, yep. um, like sure, it could be there's different ways to um, to interpret this. Like it could be like generations, and Ren is the Confucian Ren, sometimes translated as humaneness. Yeah, is that benevolence? That, that benevolence. That yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so, like maybe he, you could say he's estimating the the worldly benevolence like we want yeah. what to, but it's also when you just hear it what, what it really sounds like uh tabusharan like uh, he, he's not a person yeah. you know uh yeah, it, yeah which is to say uh, it, exactly it's a very obvious homophony on that um that's like, it's, uh, it's, it's it kind of interesting kind of like inhumane like is is almost his name uh, uh so we we're like instantly alerted that this guy might be i guess bad news right yeah yeah. What did Hawks? Um, Hawks made a joke about his name in the in the preface. Yeah, in the in the preface, he's talking about homophony. Um, so, so this, were you to translate this name into English, it would be like as if his name were what? Uh, hard, hardly human, um, <laughs> like that 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 kind of thing. Um, yes, yes, and that I think does demonstrate how. Um, just with one example, how much better the idea of homophony works in Chinese yes. than it does in English. In English, it, it's so forced um, a lot of the time. Um, um, so, Uncle Boo, uh, Uncle Hardly Human. Um, he. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, what What do we know about him? 
Uh, he runs a a kind of perfumery, um, and, and so he sells various um, sort of. Uh, I imagine various scents, maybe some musk. I I think uh, Jia Yun wants to buy wants to buy some musk, and uh, I'm forgetting what 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 other fragrances does he think Shi Feng would like? It's a kind of right. camphor, I think it's called. Um, okay. In the Chinese, it's uh Bing Pian, so literally slices of ice, um because camphor is like a white waxy. Um, and I think can be can you know flake. Um, uh, Hawks calls it um, baros baros camphor, uh, which okay, yeah, it's, kind of the... yeah, it's named after a city in Sumatra in Indonesia that's famous for its camphor, basically. But yeah, as, essentially, you know, um, hmm. it, materials for incense, right? Or yeah, and, and so the uh, a major holiday is coming up. Is it is it the five five day? I think it's mid autumn festival. Oh, mid autumn um, festival. Okay. He, he says, well, rather, he says that he'll pay him back after Ba Yue Jie, so eighth month festival. But but I, I I got that. I took that to mean mid autumn. Okay. I, um, I know later in the chapter, Shi uh, Feng has a comment like, "Oh, well, I was." Oh, actually, later in the chapter, Shi Feng was thinking that, oh, you know, I'm gonna need to purchase aromatics for the double fifth festival. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I guess he, he needs it now because the double fifth festival is coming up, and he's planning on paying it back before mid autumn. I, I think that's how the details work mm. there. He basically, yeah, Does that sound yeah, right? that sounds right. So the idea is buy these precious incense things, gift them to Shi Feng under some. Mm-hmm slightly confected uh pretext and um and once you're in her good graces get the job and then using the money you earn from the job pay back the cost of the of the kind of aromatics uh-huh exactly um, um but mr hardly human no nope. um, <laughs> he he's unmoved by this appeal no he's uh, you know he's not human he's unsympathetic yeah toward humanly uh striving and apparently he's been uh he's been burned before loaning out to relatives and he, he seems to be part of some kind of there's an interesting uh kind of detail here that might speak to how these these merchants at the time worked he, apparently he's in an agreement with a few other merchants on how to conduct business maybe they have like a, a like they have a mutual sort of um financing system going on yeah uh, some kind of some kind of partnership or something i, I don't know yeah exactly. just to like maybe i i, I think there's a, there's a way to like if you um combine your savings or your overhead in certain ways you can kind of it acts as sort of like a micro form of insurance yeah spreading the risk so spreading. It, you know you you, you you pay, yeah. It's a risk um, uh, avoidance. So, sort of strategy. so he's a, yeah. He he reels off a whole kind of laundry list of reasons why he's not going to lend him the 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 things he's asking for. So yeah, firstly, one of the assistants borrowed some goods on credit, you know, and still hasn't paid it back. So everyone's shared the loss, and they said if you do it again, you have to pay. If anyone lends stuff on credit again, they have to pay a fine to the others. And in any case, you know, they're short of those two particular items, so we probably don't have it anyway. And at any point, what do you want it for anyway? I expect, you know, 
judging by you, I doubt you're using it for anything particularly, uh, any serious purpose. You know, it would only get thrown away on some foolishness or other. <laughs> and then also, <laughs> mm. like he finishes by saying, um, don't go telling people that I'm not nice to you. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, that's um, funny. Like in the Hawks, it's like, and don't go, don't go saying that your uncle's always on at you when you come to see him. You, <laughs> you young people just don't know what's good for you. If only you could pull mm. yourself together and earn a bit of money, no one would be happier for you than I should. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, he's got a thing or two to say. You know, there, there's an important detail there um, where it's a little bit unclear, but there seems to be some indication that perhaps um, I got the impression that when so we learn that Jia Yun's father has um, died uh, somewhat recently um, within living memory. Uh, and, and so when, basically when Jia Yun was a young boy. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in the Hawks, it's very, or in, in the original as well, it's, the, the line reads as follows. Um, Jia, Jia Yun says, but when father died, I was too little to understand what was going on. And according to what mother has since told me, it was you who stepped in and took care of everything. And so I was thinking here, um, this reminds me a little bit of back in chapter one when Jen uh, Shuin's father-in-law, you know, stepped in and took care of a lot of things for their, they're purchasing a, uh, a, a house in the countryside. I almost got the impression that Jiayun is insinuating that uh, uh, Bu Shirin, like probably stole some of his inheritance uh, when he was a young boy. Did you get that impression? I got a little bit of that suggestion, yeah. That yeah. he had perhaps um, he, tr you know, been there to help out his sister after her husband had died, leaving a leaving a young boy mm -hmm. behind. Yeah, I'm sure he's helping out. That's what and people yeah. do in this society. They they help out a lot. Actually, I guarantee he was just stealing. I didn't maybe, miss the opportunity. Maybe I've become so, too yeah. cynical. But like, based on everything we've seen so far in this novel, it seems likely that he was probably like skimming off the top. I f I feel like it's yeah maybe maybe fair. To and so now you know he's not even willing to give a loan, and that's kind of a, maybe uh, an indication of his inhumanity. Um, he, he um so. Jia Yun kind of defends himself a bit um, and he says uh, in the Hawks he says even the cleverest housewife can't make bread without flour yes uh, and you know in the, in the Chinese it's you know even a skilled housewife can't make food without rice like can't make a meal without rice basically mm -hmm. um, um, and I think that that it's like a kind of passing comment but it does reveal a bit of the difficulty that he and no doubt many others faced which is they wanted to get ahead in life you you know, in order to get anywhere in life, you need something to start with. If you don't have any capital to begin with, then you can never mm -hmm. like make anything more of yourself. And so that's what he, that's kind of what he's trying to do here. You know, as soon as mm -hmm. he has a bit of, as soon as he has a bit of money, he can definitely make something of himself. Mm -hmm. But until he gets that, he he's just stuck at square one, right? Right, and that's I mean that's very you know that's true. <laughs> and so. Bu Shuren goes on to have another grumble at him. And he says, you know, you, you're not, you really ought to go and see your father's people in the big house. You know, so obviously Jia Yun's father, um, it's through him that he's related to the, the, the Jazz in the 
you know, in the mansion. Um, so he's saying, yeah, you have to go and see your father's people. You're probably just being too high and mighty is the thing. You know, if you actually went down there and asked nicely, I'm sure they'd give you something to do. Um, obviously, little does he know that... Um, he just came <clears> back. Yeah. That's what he, he just did. Yeah. And and the thing that also that he throws in his face is that he just recently saw uh, Jia Qin, um, as we mentioned, another one of the young, quite poor Jia men from the, no- from the neighborhood. Um, he says he saw Jia Qin riding on a donkey with four or five carriages behind him and 50 or 60 nuns on his way to your family temple out in the country. Now that's a shrewd young fellow. You can't tell me that he got that job by doing nothing. And so... <laughs> that was supposed to be his job. And he yeah. did do nothing. That's <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's so obnoxious. <laughs> yeah, he kind of stumbled into it. And yeah, so Jia Yun was, was, was angling for that job and, and lost out on it. And then I, I guess apart from anything else, I don't think it even was 50 or 60 nuns. I think it was more like 20 or 30. And so he's... He's you know, exaggerating as well. He's, it, yeah, he's he's he really you, like you recognize this family member, the family member who's always, you know, laying into you for not trying hard enough and saying uh-huh. so and so's son is better than you, and you know, <laughs> you know, went to a more prestigious university or earns more money or is of course, more, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, you know, um, very relatable. Okay, so um, do you want to skip ahead? I was just going to note one thing, which is he then decides to leave, and at that point, Mister Hardly Human is like, "Oh well, you know, you know, stay for dinner, of course." Um, <laughs> and his wife shouts out from the kitchen, "We don't have, we don't have enough food to feed him. Are you mad? Um, like, you know, he's only going to go hungry if he stays." <laughs> and so he says, "Oh no, we'll just you know, buy some more." And she says, oh, "We haven't got any money." So she sends out the daughter across the street to borrow some money from the neighbors. But before before they can do that, <laughs> Jia Yun says, "No, it's fine. It's fine. I'll, I'll just I'll just go. Don't worry about me." What's interesting is that she's called um, Yin Jie, so silver silver girl, basically. Uh, Hawks translates it as Goldie, um, okay. which I think is is maybe always clever. Yeah, I think he's always two steps ahead, <laughs> Hawks. I think it's just like emphasizing that he's really fixated on money so much that he names his daughter uh silver basically okay yeah maybe she's an investment as well money girl yeah um yeah (laughs) so yeah it's a really like relatable but just like like amazingly insufferable uh like family members Mm. uh (laughs) frustrating and so you can you can feel again he's sort of like the hero of this chapter and so you can like you can feel his um resentment and uh discontent and he's sort of grumbling and not looking where he's walking and so all of a sudden he he you know bumps into uh this guy on the street who's clearly intoxicated uh and and it turns out it's it's his neighbor uh niar who um is this sort of uh shady fellow yeah um Who's not the kind of guy you want to be, uh, like? Yeah, he's really not. With, yeah, right? exactly. He's um, he has like a like slightly kind of like mafioso feel to him, you know. Um, mm-hmm. but like a, a petty, like your neighborhood, yeah. you know, he'd be on the street corner maybe, uh, like yeah, kind of, kind of guy. We 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 learn a bit about him. He's the he's basically the next door neighbor, um, of uh of Jia Yun and his mother. 
um, he's described as uh, in Chinese uh, poor pi, which means basically like a hooligan, ruffian, uh-huh. thug. At uh, this poor pi, poor here is like to sp- literally it's like to splash or sprinkle, but it also has a kind of like violent or like kind of brutish um, meaning to it. But I've also seen uh, a variant of it, which is boar pi. So boar is to like peel off, and pi is skin. So, mm. so you know, he's he's the type of person who'll peel your skin off. You know, he'll have your he'll have your hide off, basically. Or may, or maybe he's um, like a rough he's like a a rough skin. He's like a oh yeah yeah a roughneck something like that <laughs> yeah something like that. He um, we learned that he yeah it's like a loan shark mm-hmm. basically, and so uh, I don't think that being a loan shark at this time in Chinese history was much different from any other time. Prey on the prey on people. And if they don't pay back your exorbitantly high interests, you know, break the kneecaps or 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 whatever. And he also he, he at the he's at the gambling tables uh, makes a living as well. Yeah, exactly. And so he's kind it, of they uh, use this interesting phrase, "zai du bo chang chu fan." So he yes, he, uh, yeah, chu fan like to to eat a meal or to to make a yeah, living. Yeah, yeah. Right? So du bo chang is the du bo chang is like a gambling a gambling den something like that. So yeah, that's where he eats. But or he uh, he makes his bread, kind of thing. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, uh, and so he's he's prone toward fighting, uh, and so he's he's about to fight. Yeah. Um, Jiayun, just for n- knocking into him, and and so Jiayun's like, "You gotta stop! It's me! You know, did you recognize me? I, you know, like, sorry, I, I didn't mean to. You know, no offense." And, and I imagine, like, at this point, it's maybe uh, it's already dark. Maybe it's evening time. Um, so yeah, he probably can't easily identify him, even if he wasn't intoxicated. You know, three sheets to the wind. Yes, yeah. yeah. He's re- described twice as "lia uh, chia which means kind of like stumbling, swaying. Um, mm. And it, and it's interesting because this this same verb is used much later in the chapter to describe the way that the two maids um, move while carrying this very heavy bucket. Like between them, they're carrying like it's almost like a an entire bath full of water. So if you imagine that kind of movement, like carrying something very heavy that sways back and forward, that's that's his mm-hmm. kind of you know drunken drunken stumbling. Yeah, his like yeah like stumbling as with maybe with a bit of a swagger, I'd say. Um, and so then his his attitude changes dramatically, and now he now you know he's drunk, and so they're best friends. And he's like, you know, yeah. "What can I do for you, my my, my <laughs> old boy?" Kind of idea. He's like, "We're family, you and me." I imagine he's, you know, he's got one arm over uh, his shoulder and the other arms come around and giving him a kind of, you know, that like, um, that like well-meaning like slap on the face that you give people. Okay. Um, you know, I'm imagining it's that, or he's like ruffling his hair, that right. kind of. Thing. And so he's like, well, <laughs> "Who's getting you down? You know, what can I do? You know, I can, yeah. I can sort them yeah. out." Kind of idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyone messes with you, I'll. And so he explains to him the story, but he's like, you know, he's my uncle, so don't, there's, don't rough him up. Yeah. Um. So instead of uh, roughing up his uncle, he offers him a loan, right? Supposedly without interest, right? Um. Oh, you gotta wonder, you know. He says without it. Actually, later on in the chapter, doesn't. Jiayun kind of speculate. Well, he said no interest then, yeah. but maybe the next day he'll change he his decides, mind. He decides, yeah, 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 as we'll see. Um, 
but yeah at the time he says no no interest um like just just take it take he's just been to collect from from someone else and he's basically giving everything that he's collected to um Jiayun as a as a little interest free loan um and Jiayun is kind of yeah he's in a he's in a pickle right there and then because he's weighing mm -hmm. up you know on the one hand this man is a loan shark and he's offering me what looks like a very sweet deal but is this ultimately going to end up in him repossessing my house or like bashing my face in? Yeah, like prizing off my fingernails or, or you know mm -hmm. any of those kind of things. Um, but at the same time, if he refuses, he could give offence to him now, and he might do those things, you know, right here this minute. Mm. So he prudently accepts, um, and he offers to write him an IOU, but um, uh, Niar says. Oh no! Don't bother. You know, if you're going to bother with writing IOUs, then I'll just keep the money. Too much, too much hassle. Um, mm. So yeah, he. Th there is one thing I wanted to pick up on, which is like uh, he, <clears throat> in the title of the chapter, um, he's referred to as the drunken diamond, um, and he talks about himself that way. Um, the the Chinese is zui jin gang. Um, so Zui is drunk, drunken. So that's that's the same. Jin Gang mm -hmm. is almost like a kind of like like a Buddhist master or something. Yes, yeah. So he's the yeah. I was I was wondering about that as well. Yeah. Um, he. Um, so yeah, what Hawks has translated as a diamond there, I guess, is in the sort of like uh, in the figurative sense of like you know, if you say somebody's a diamond, you're saying they're like a they're they're a good sort. You know, they're a, they're. Um, they're basically a decent person, and here it's well. He's he's referred to as um, you know. Well, I mean, like Jin, like Jin Gang can mean diamond, right? Like because uh, you just think it's like what what is a diamond? It's like gold, but it's you know harder. It, it's kind of like a lot, like a, a literal way of. But maybe I, I'm I'm curious if it also, and so I guess Jin Gang can also be uh, Vajrapani, right? Um, so I, I wonder if there was that. What What is that? What's the Vajrapani? He's just one of like, he's like the the bodyguard of Buddha. Oh, okay. Cool. I, I'm not, I, I'm not, that's not my like, strength really, but something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. he's like the Buddha's right hand man kind of thing. And so yeah. he's a drunken Vajrapani. I, I don't know. Maybe Hawks thought that would be too like uh, yeah. sacrilegious maybe. Yeah, or just not—I I don't know—not kind of snappy enough. I don't yeah. know. I feel like this is a time that's maybe it kind of rolls off the tongue a bit more easily in in Chinese. Uh, but so but Jin Gang is that. also diamond, so I'm I'm kind of curious. Yeah, in the original, what the original connotation was. Yeah. But um, yeah, like in the title, it refers to him as being um, Yi Xia. Uh, so Yi is like uh, justice or righteousness, and Xia is kind of like heroic or courageous. Okay. So it's basically like the the drunken diamond shows his like, despite being a money lender, he has like a kind of heart of gold. You know, he has mm. this like righteousness and 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 heroism mm. at, at his at his core. Um, Although maybe that's how he regards himself. I, I think there's a bit of irony in that <laughs> kind of. Yeah, yeah. Hard to say. Anyway, having given him the money, um, um, Niara then goes off on his way. Um. And he says, you know, he's still got a little business to do. 
he's not going to go home tonight. Could Jai Yun go home and tell his wife that he's not going to be home? But that send his daughter round first thing tomorrow to um, Bandy Wang, the horse dealer. Um, Bandy here, I guess, being, you know, bandy-legged, uh, because in the Chinese he's Wang Duan Tui. So short legs, short legs Wang, stumpy Wang kind of thing. Okay. Um, and there he departs. Yeah, there he departs. <laughs>